Life Happens with Pinelo Modine. Thanks again for staying with us. I said we're going to be devoting a lot of the show to Mandela because it would have been his birthday on the 18th. Well, it is, um, except that, you know, things have changed so much in the past couple of days. Uh, the family is is still mourning the death of his daughter. And uh, we are looking at uh, celebrating his life, I suppose, in a, in a bit of a somber mood, but we will nonetheless. So I wanted to test, take a listen to this particular letter that was read out by Princess Swati Lamini Mandela and this was a letter that was penned by her grandfather Nelson Mandela. This was written in 1971 to her mom Princess Zanani Mandela which is the elder sister to Ambassador Zinzi Mandela and Swati worked on a book called Prison Letters of Nelson Mandela along with Sham Fenter. Just take a listen. March 1st 1971. My darling Friday the 5th February this year was your 12th birthday. And in January, I sent you a card containing my congratulations and good wishes. Did you get it? Again, I say many happy returns. It is not easy for me to believe that Awazeni, who was only a baby when I last saw her, is now a big girl in Standard 5 at a boarding school and doing subjects I never learned in school, like French, physical science, and maths. I still remember clearly the night you were born in 1959. On February 4th that year, I returned home very late and found mommy highly restless. I rushed for the late on Phyllis Mzaidume, and the two of us drove mommy to Baragwanath Hospital. There was a remarkable coincidence. Aunt Phyllis herself was born on 5th February, and on our way to Bara, she hoped you would be born on the same date. And that is exactly what happened. When she heard of the news of your arrival, she was as happy as if she had created you herself. Your birth was a great relief to us. Only three months before this, Mommy had spent 15 days in jail under circumstances that were dangerous for a person in her condition. We did not know what harm might have been done to you and to her health, and were happy indeed to be blessed with a healthy and lovely daughter. Do you understand that you were nearly born in prison? Not many people have had your experience of having been in jail before they were born. You were only 25 months old when I left home. Though I met you frequently thereafter until January 1962 when I left the country for a short period, we never lived together again. You will probably not remember an incident that moved me very much at the time and about which I never liked to think. Towards the end of 1961, you were brought to the house of a friend and I was already waiting when you came. I was wearing no jacket or hat. I took you into my arms and for about 10 minutes we hugged and kissed and talked. Then suddenly you seemed to have remembered something. You pushed me aside and started searching the room. In a corner, you found the rest of my clothing. After collecting it, you gave it to me and asked me to go home. You held my hand for quite some time, pulling desperately and begging me to return. It was a difficult moment for both of us. You felt I had deserted you and mommy, and your request was, quite, was a reasonable one. It was similar to the note that you added to mommy's letter of the 3rd December 1965 where you said, will you come home next year? My mother will fetch you with her car. Your age in 1961 made it difficult for me to explain my conduct to you. And the word expression that I saw in your face haunted me for many months thereafter. Luckily, however, you soon cooled down and we parted peacefully. But for days I was lost in thought, wondering how I could show you that I had not failed you and the family. 
When I returned to South Africa in July 1962, I saw you and Zinzi twice, and this was the last time we met. In 1964, you were brought to the Supreme Court in Pretoria, and I was quite disappointed when you were not allowed to see me. I have been longing to see you ever since. You will be able to pay me a visit in 1975 when you will have turned 16. But I'm growing impatient, and the coming five years seem longer than eternity. What a lovely letter you wrote me last month. Merci beaucoup. I have started 1971 with a real bang. Yours was the first and only letter I got from the family this year, and I read it over and over again. I shall keep it as a souvenir. It pleased me very much to know your subjects for this year and hope you will work hard right from the beginning of the year and pass. May this letter bring you the same joy and happiness that yours gave me. Give my love to Zinzi, Maki, Khatu, and Abazala, Andile, Vuyani, Guayio, Mapelo, and of course to you and Mami. Lots of love and plenty of kisses. Yours affectionately, Dada. Gosh. Part of the rich archival material that exists um, of Dada uh, Nelson Mandela and the person who has the key to many of those, not all, but many of those, and who really makes sure that they are in safe hands is Razia Saleh, who is head of archival material and archives at the Nelson Mandela Foundation. She joins me now on the line. Razia, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you and to all the listeners. I was listening to that letter that um, uh, Princess Swati was so very kindly read to, uh, for, for all of us that was penned in 1971. And it made me uh, remember that, um, inter- in fact, almost all the letters that um, Dada Mandela wrote to the family always began with, how is school? Yes, Madiba was particularly interested in education and encouraging even from um, when he was in jail, encouraging all members of his family to study. Uh, He thought that to broaden one's mind was the best thing to do. I mean, we've got quite a bit of material, um, you know, post uh, him being the president. We've got a lot of material um, from the letters that that were kept between themselves as family members, but not much from his early years, do we? No, uh, Maduro was born in the rural Eastern Cape at the turn of the last century. And, uh, you know, photography and uh, keeping of records was not very much uh, the thing, thing to do. That's also an oral tradition. So we haven't found any early traces in archival terms of uh, Madiba. So there we haven't seen his original birth certificate or early photographs from his baby and his uh, his, uh, uh, his life uh, right up until 1938 when we get the first photograph of Madiba. Mm. We've also looked for, you know, clinic cards and school reports and things like that, but we haven't been able to trace that. Partially because some of the schools that he went to in apartheid South Africa were then transferred to the Sky and then there was upheaval and the administration building at Hilltown, the high school that he attended, was burned down. So unfortunately, a lot of that information is lost or it was never created. Hmm. What we have is a 1938 photograph of Madiba at Hilltown, yes. and we take that as the earliest photograph that we have of him. 
You know, Rosia, there are also some missing pieces, and I, I keep thinking about this because some missing pieces that can be filled in, actually, are, are still out there, and there's still boggles the mind that there's still negotiations about getting that archival material and making it possible for all of us to have access to it. Do we know, for instance, how much the CIS is sitting with? We know that the CIS was sort of, and I don't know how true that is, but sort of kind of um, knows a little bit about what happened during his hideout, for instance, uh, in, in Rivonia. And there were rumors, um, the CIA, a bigger part, there were rumors about the fact that there were they were spying in on the house and so on. Do we know for sure if, if because they haven't said anything, do we know for sure if they've got any any audio, anything that they used to, to, to bug the area there? Um, you know, uh, uh, Lily's leave uh, Rivonia was raided and we know that Security branch at some point had it in their radar, so there might there must have been police surveillance. I don't know if there was bugging or and that at the least. But we know uh, from rumors also that Madiba was arrested at Howick in KZN. Yes, and there's always been stories. It's the CIA who tipped off South African intelligence about his whereabouts because there was a roadblock, and they were clearly waiting for him on that road. So when President Obama uh, was president of the U.S., his ambassador to South Africa, Patrick Gaspard, was going to help us uh, to get those records from the CIA, but then changes happened in the U.S., and we never really got those records. So it hasn't really been confirmed, but we would like to know for certain, you know, if it was the CIA who stepped off the South African security and that led to the arrest. Has the CIA given you anything? I mean, it may not be that particular recording, but anything at all? Do we have anything they, that they've committed to? They have, you know, they have released stuff in America under the Freedom of Information Act, uh, and it's been done by a person called Ryan Shapiro. Uh, so we have stuff, but that's like mainly after 1990 when Madiba was released at the various public events that he attended. It's nothing substantial, nothing that we don't know about. What we are interested on is the surveillance stuff and the intelligence reports in the heydays of the repressive apartheid state in the 50s and 60s. There, there's also, I mean, other little pieces that Madiba, when he spoke about them, he, he chuckled a little bit. Things like the gun that is still out there somewhere on the ground, somewhere around Ravonia, which he forgot where he had put it when he, he went away. Yes. And and that's quite funny. Is there any appetite at all to, to also eke out some of the little pieces that make up his history? Well, you know, it goes through phases. So we, we've had people, especially the Lily's Lee chat. <laughs> Who've hunted for the gun. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's also a story that he had a gun in the car when he was arrested at Howick, and that, that gun also never appeared. So, yes, uh, yes, there are those kind of stories that do float around every now and then. And I, I think I think what gives me peace, and I don't know about you and, and, and the foundation, is that he just simply forgot some of the stuff. I mean, <laughs> there was no ill intent there, he just forgot where he put the gun. Yes, I mean, it happens to the best of us. Uh, you know, you, you you forget small things that happen, or you must remember it after a lapse of time. You conflate things. It's also the gun, you know, uh, the gun that he received in Ethiopia. There's, there's different versions of what type of a gun it was, whether it was a Russian Makarov or a 
or American coat, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So let, let's talk about some of the, the some of the pieces that are available at your that are sitting at your disposal. There is a, a book that I think is just to be treasured. Uh, I think Muhammad Ali gave him that book. Yes, we call it the ginormous uh, book. It's a huge, huge, heavy book that was in Maribas, or that still is in Maribas office, which is now a museum at the foundation. Uh, it's an opus. Um, and Madiba was particularly, he was, uh, Muhammad Ali was Madiba's hero. So hero's hero, Muhammad Ali. So Madiba, when he had time, he would love to page through the book and just to Look at all the photographs and the witty saying and things like that and smile. Uh, So we have that. I mean, I think the most the, the thing that gets me though, Rizia, is the title of the book. And I mean, this is before it became a hashtag. It's it's goat, right? Greatest of all time. Yes. Greatest of all time. Yes. And 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 I believe. I mean, what's in that book? A lot of photography. It's it's beautifully done. Uh, it's photographs of the event in Muhammad Ali's life with a bit of commentary, uh, like, you know, uh, a huge, uh, big size. It's been blown up uh, and it, it's beautiful to look at and to, to, to uh, go through Ali's life. What does it take to hold dear and to treasure and to look after one of the greatest men's kind of history and archive, that responsibility sitting on you? How, how does it land with you is it is it burdensome is it what what is it like for you it's an honor i feel really privileged to look at maribas writings and all these artifacts and objects uh, on a almost daily basis it's also quite nerve-wracking because it's a huge responsibility we have to ensure that it's preserved and kept for future generations and that we are able to do it correctly. And also with the electronic age to ensure that it will be accessible in the future uh, because electronic records are mediated through software and hardware and if that changes and if you don't keep up with the development, you can actually lose information. So it's a, it's a challenge, but I, I, I feel totally honored that I'm, I've been given this responsibility. Razia, thank you for talking to us. I mean, there's a lot there. We'll send the people to uh, the foundation's website to see some of the stuff that is there. But thank you, thank you for talking to us. And happy Mandela Day. Thanks. Razia Saleh, who is the head of archive material at Mandela Foundation. And you can obviously go to the Nelson Mandela Foundation to see some of the products and uh, some of the artifacts and and just wonderful things that he had um, and some of the archival material that they have there. So we'll we'll post that on our social media platforms and uh, share that with you.